Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we want to give a huge welcome to all of our friends online. Can we thank them for being with us today? Yeah. Excited about that. Um, also, we're just, you guys, we're excited. Fall is coming. Uh, school is starting. And there's just been a lot of good things in the works here at ACF Church. Uh, it's been a good summer, hasn't it? Have you had a good summer? I hope you have. Uh, we've done a lot of stuff as a family. And just as a church, there's just been a, a lot of great movement as a community. I feel like there's sort of uh, some deep, um, maybe some deep identity things that have been happening as a church throughout this summer. And so I'm excited about where the fall's going. We are kicking off into our fall series on September 7th and 11th on that Wednesday night and Sunday morning. And so you guys, listen, don't miss that week. If you're going to miss church ever, don't miss kickoff in the fall. We're excited. We're going to be uh, giving a gift to everybody that shows up, so you want to show up for that. Also, uh, bring some friends with you. Consider inviting some people, but uh, don't just invite them. Call them that day. Go pick them up. Uh, buy them lunch. Do whatever it takes. Like Get them to church that week. And also, uh, if you're coming, I know you're here at 11 a.m., but I encourage you, go to 9 a.m. if you can. Uh, if you've been around ACF for a while, if you're like, yep, this is my church home, uh, this is my family, then, then guess what, man? It's an opportunity for you to make some space for somebody who maybe hasn't heard about Jesus to be able to come in here and not have to look around and go, is there room for me? Can I find a seat, you know? Uh, so uh, if you wouldn't mind just considering that, talking that over as a family, uh, just going to 9 a.m or to Wednesday night. It's the same service. It's all the same. In fact, when we first launched it, uh, there, there was a few guys that kept coming to Wednesday and Sunday, and after like three weeks, they were like, do you know that like Sunday's the same as Wednesday? And we're like, we've been saying that for weeks. Yes, it's the exact same service. Everything's the same. Uh, you get hot dogs on Wednesday, so that's a bonus. Um, just a little extra help for you if you're leaving work late. But uh, we are in a series uh, today. We're continuing on through our Crooked Crowns series, and this conversation has been about leadership. It's about uh, finishing well, and it's been about honoring God and knowing who He is in light of, of who we are. And really, we, we threw out this verse at the very beginning that the, uh, the fear of God is the beginning of all what? Wisdom. Wisdom comes from the fear of God. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the fear of God. Um, maybe you think of being, a, being scared of God. But I think of, like, I've been to um, the Grand Canyon. Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? A few guys in the room? It's amazing, isn't it? So th there are some lookout points where you come up to the edge of this cliff and you just, you look out and you realize, I am so small, right? You can't look at the Grand Canyon and think, I'm God, right? I mean, just when I, when I go to places like that, my faith grows because I realize how big this place is that we live in. Maybe you're a hunter here and you're excited because hunting season's coming, right? Come on, men. A hunting season's coming. And you think about being out in the mountains and you think about like glassing for moose. But then there's these moments where you set down the binoculars and you just take it in, right? And you realize this place is so huge and I'm so small. And where a lot of these kings uh, that have led God's people throughout the years have gone wrong is they've forgotten how small they are. They've forgotten who God is and who they are. 
And so the, the fear of God is really the respect of God and understanding who he is. And, and, you know, I also think there's a healthy kind of fear. Like, you know, I used to have a certain fear of my dad. Um, and now I love my dad. My dad was a good dad. He, uh, I think he took care of me and our family really well. But there's a little, like, healthy fear of dad, isn't there? Right, parents? Right, dads? We want our kids to be, like, you know, not just not scared of us, but to know there's a difference between mom and dad and the kids, right? And we know, like, my kids are in this, this, this mood where they start calling us by our first names. Your kids ever done this if you have kids? And, and they just want to test this out. Like, can I call mom and dad by their first names? And, and we, we're like, no, no, I'm dad. I'm not Brian, I'm dad. It's important that you see a distinction between you and me. And so with God, I believe that the same thing's important. And we, we've talked through these different kings' lives uh, and seen how they have forgotten this. And they've actually gotten a little too big and forgotten how small they should be. And so this is the conversation. If, if you want to open up your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you have one, you can also follow along on the screen behind me uh, or on your uh, ACF app. If you have a smartphone, you can download the ACF Church app. All our messages and videos and stuff are online uh, right there. You can follow along on that. But I've entitled this morning, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. So um, I grew up with an older brother. Uh, he's four years older than me. Any other uh, people have older brothers? Who has an older brother, older siblings? Yep. So you know when you're a younger sibling that you are set up to fail when it comes to competing with your older brother. And, and with my brother, it was like a lot of families. We could compete at anything. It didn't matter what it was. Like, you know, who can hold the spoon on their nose the longest? Who can jump from the highest stair in the house? Who can run around the house the fastest? Everything was a competition. But my brother, he's the athletic one. You know, I'm like the artsy, good-looking one. And so <laughs> we... He always won at stuff like that, always. But I, I'm convinced that he set me up every time. And he was always setting himself up to win, no matter what the situation was. But occasionally I'd get really close, which would get me really excited. And when I would get close to winning, I would always kind of gloat in my closeness. Hey, Tim, look how close I got. Hey, I almost beat you. I almost beat you. And, he, and he'd always say the same thing. Brian, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Horseshoes and hand grenades. Now, I don't know if you play horseshoes. I don't play horseshoes anymore, but I do play this. What's this for? <laughs> cornhole, right? This is crazy. So I came up to Alaska, and I had never heard of cornhole. It, it was a totally new thing. So we had these friends that were from North Carolina. They moved up here, and they're like, hey, you want to come over and play some cornhole? And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'm so there. So we went over, and we played this game, and they explained it to me. Um, and so they said, basically, it's like this. You just you toss the little beanbag onto the little box. It's got a hole in it, and, and it's great. You get it on top of the box, you get a certain number of points. You get it in the hole, you get more points. Now, I say a certain number because nobody seems to play by the same rules. Everybody I meet has a different point system. But anyway, so immediately I fell in love with this game because I'm like, I love games where you don't have to get it in the hole to win. And you can actually like, be sort of close and still get points and, and take the game. And if I look at my life, here's the deal. I, I feel like I live life like this. I want points for being close. I want credit for being almost there, but not quite. Maybe, maybe you're that A student, and then you got like a B, and you took it home to your parents, and you're like, I got a B, and they're like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, well, it's a high B, right? Or, you know, or maybe you're like, you're the, you're the D student, and you got an F, right? I just want to include everybody. So you got the F, and your parents are like, what's up with the F? And you're like, it's a high F, right? It's like, right on the verge of the D. Give me some credit. It's close enough, right? We love to get credit for being close 
enough. What we're going to see in the life of King Saul is, is he really saw it this way. He saw that, that, that this pursuit of God and following God and listening to, to his will uh, over time turned into a game of close enough. That's close enough for God. I hope that maybe he's pleased with at least what I give him. And so could we just go to him in prayer and we're going to open up the scriptures. Jesus, uh, we ask that you'd speak to us today. And um, I'm so grateful for the, the friends and family we have in this room together. Um, God, I pray for the people here who are just excited about you and life's just ticking along and excited about this new season that's coming. Uh, God, that you'd speak to their hearts, you'd challenge them. God, that you would draw out maybe some, some parts of their lives they can't see. Uh, I pray for the person here who's seeking the truth, who's just looking for something and not even sure if, uh, if, if you're it. God, that they would see something authentic in your church today. And we could just be honest. Father, I ask for a spirit of authenticity and honesty in this place. Um, we spend a lot of time faking it. Could, could church be a place where we are who we are before a God who loves us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we get into this story, um, there's a few characters that we want to we talk about. And, and uh, the, the first is this man named Samuel. Now, now, throughout the conversation about these different kings, what we've said is that every leader needs a prophet. Every leader needs somebody who's speaking into their lives. And so David, King David, had this guy named Nathan. And Nathan was a trusted advisor, a man who loved him enough to speak the truth into his life. And so when David, David was getting over to the edge and he crossed the line with Bathsheba, Nathan was the one to say, hey, come here, let me tell you a story about a man who robbed another man of the only thing he ever loved, the only thing he ever had. And so Nathan had the relationship with this man to speak into his life. And then we talked last week about King Uzziah, a man whose pride got the best of him. It said that he was helped by God until he became strong, and which isn't just physical strength. It's literally he became proud. It's this point where we become self-sustaining and independent from God, where God blesses us so much that we forget where the blessing came from. And we said this. We said, like, you know, we don't take credit for what God does. Uh, nothing we have that's good came from us. You might think that you're a self-made man or self-made woman, but your, your talent, your ability, your resources are all gifts from God. We don't want to take credit. Like we said, as a worship team, like we sing songs every week. And guess what? The worship team didn't write them. You know, like Mason didn't write the worship songs. They came from somebody else. And so it would be terrible if he's like, I take credit for these, you know, like my sermons. I don't write. I'm just kidding. I write my sermons. <laughs> See if you're here. But we, it's like, we, we don't want to take credit for things that, that aren't ours. That aren't, and even that, it's like, man, you guys, God is, I hope, going to speak through me and through his word. But even this, this like, I go home, and I just lay this down. And, and on Sunday afternoons, I just pray. I'm like, God, would you just do something through this? God, would you just get me out of the way and that your word would speak? And if you change someone's heart, Father, that is all you. That is your spirit at work in your people. That we'd let go of, of any grip that we have on what we've done so that we wouldn't become proud like Uzziah, thinking that he can do anything, that he uh, is God himself. And today we're talking about King Saul, who has a guy named Samuel. And Samuel is a prophet. Samuel is sort of this miracle baby. Uh, and his mother, Hannah, couldn't have any babies. And so, so she was praying to God. She's like, God, would you give me a child? Bless me with a child. And so uh, he, she said, she made this commitment, God, if you give me a child, I will set him apart and consecrate him for your work. So God gives Hannah a child, and, and she names him Samuel. And sure enough, Samuel grows up to be this prophet for God, a, a leader for Israel's people. And then uh, uh, Samuel's given the opportunity to pass on the leadership to King Saul, the first 
the first king of Israel. So it's a great opportunity for him to speak into this new leader's life, for him to be alongside of him. And we're going to see another group of people here as we start off this passage. And these, this group of people uh, is known as the, the Amalekites. And the Amalekites are kind of a wicked people. We hear about them way back in Exodus and, and uh, when, when God's people were leaving Egypt to go inherit the promised land, the Amalekites opposed them. They were this military power, but they weren't just a military power. The, the thing about them is that, that they just didn't fear God. They didn't fear God. They didn't honor God. They didn't see a difference between God and them. And so they lived lives of rebellion against God. And so when, when you do that over generations, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so this is a deeply interwoven uh, thing in their lives where like their children and their children's children and their children's children have, have not feared God, which turns into a mess for society. And I believe this with all my heart. Fearing God and knowing who God is will change our society. Like it will change the culture. And a culture that fears God is a culture you want to be a part of. Like it's a culture that you want to raise your kids in. It's a culture with health and it's, it's, a, it's a good place to be. And so God knows this. God knew that. And so as he saw these people growing, this became a, a clash. And God wanted his people to wipe them out. They weren't wiped out. And then we find ourselves in chapter 15, and we see what God calls Saul to. Let's read this together. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Okay. So when I was getting ready to preach this, um, I went into our staff and I was like, I kind of want to skip this verse. Uh, it, it doesn't really fit with where I'm going in my message, but I really felt like we have to talk, it's, it's in God's words, so we've got to talk about things. Because when I, when I read that, and as I've studied this, I mean, the first feeling is just that this is horrendous, right? I mean, let's just look the Bible in the eye, let's look the story in the eye, let's be honest about this. This is God calling Saul to genocide. This is terrible. I mean, we have to look and go, this is not a good situation. And, and as, as Christians, we have to wrestle with things like this in Scripture because these things can shape how you view God. In fact, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, and one of the reasons that you don't want to be a Christian is because you read things like this. You're like, how is that God loving what, how, what kind of sense does that make? And we, this isn't the first time we've seen something like this. As we, you know, we look back, we see the flood. And the flood was a result of all of humanity giving themselves to de depravity, losing their fear of God, and, and thinking that they themselves can be God. To the point that God sees this and he says in all of his foreknowledge, God says, this is not getting better. This is only being fed from generation to generation, and so I have to literally start over for the good of the people, for the good of those who are on earth. We have to, we have to wipe out the earth and start fresh. I mean, we see even Abraham, as God calls them to, to wipe out Sodom, in all of the mess 
just disgusting, terrible sin of Sodom. Like Abraham is like, God, really, what if there's one righteous? He starts pleading with God on just saving some of these people. So there's this, this, this tension as we read a passage like this, I think partially because we don't get how, how destructive sin is. I think we minimize it in our lives. We don't really see how destructive it is in their lives. I mean, I have to believe as God looked at their society, although he was angry, he's also brokenhearted that people would live this way. And I was trying to make some sense of this. I was trying to understand it because here's one thing we know about God's character, that he is love, right? That God at his very core is love. He doesn't act loving. He doesn't do loving things. Like you and I, we act loving. I can act loving to my wife, but I am not love, just so you know. I am not love. There are other things that come out of me as well. You, you do too, right? So we, we understand that we are not love. God himself at his core, his essence is love. So everything he does flows from his love for the world. So we know that to be true. Then we read something like this and we're like, how can this be? How is this a loving God? Why would God ever call them to this? And I was thinking about a story in my life. A friend of mine, a few years ago, uh, he had some, some medical issues with his leg, so he went in for sort of a routine procedure, a small surgery. And they put him under, and while they're working on his leg, one of the doctors nicked an artery. And uh, he starts bleeding and losing circulation to parts of the muscle and and so he wakes up after the surgery, and it's a fairly routine thing, thinking everything's fine. The doctor says, well, <laughs> the surgery went okay. Unfortunately, we nicked an artery, and uh, part of your leg lost circulation for an extended period of time, which means that some of the tissue has died in your leg. So he's just like, what does that mean? I mean, can we, can we fix that, right? Like, you guys can, you're doctors, right? You, you can do things. And they're like, well, yeah, we've got a plan. So we're going to do some more surgeries, and we're going to work on your leg. And so over the next weeks and months, he went in for surgery after surgery after surgery to work on this leg. And it's just getting worse and worse, and he was crippled. Like, he couldn't walk. He couldn't move around. Uh, it was just terrible because he was a really athletic guy. He was runner, hiker, biker, did all kinds of things. But this was demobilizing him. And it was turning into infection. It was getting terrible. And so the point came where they had this conversation about a year after uh, that they didn't want to have. And it was a conversation of amputation. He didn't want to have that conversation. I can't imagine anybody would. And so they had the talk, and the doctor said, listen, you can, you can essentially be crippled for the rest of your life, or we can do amputation, and you will walk again. And, and you won't be the same. Uh, it'll, hurt, it'll, it'll cause a lot, of, a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, but you, you can get through this, you know. So he made the grueling decision to let the doctors amputate his leg. If you met him today, uh, if you just saw him, you wouldn't think anything about it. You'd see him biking, you'd see him running, you'd see him hiking, you'd see him mobile, you'd see a happy guy. You know, I mean, you'd, you'd see this guy that's now mobilized and healthy and doing fine. He'll live a long life without that leg. But that decision was terrible. I mean, it's just gut-wrenching to make a call like that. And as we look at this in Scripture, we know... God is love. I just imagine God, when he makes this declaration through Samuel, that this wasn't a flippant declaration. This wasn't God like, hey, I don't know, I'm having a bad day today. Go kill all these people, right? I don't know, just feeling kind of grumpy, feeling like I want to see some blood. I'm just going to, why don't you wipe out all the Amalekites? Just go do that. This was generations of God's grace until the point where God says, listen, it's not going to get better. These people will not honor me. And because of that, they're destroying themselves from the inside out. So because of that, 
I want you to wipe them out. I want you to get rid of everything. We, we have to start over. So as brutal as that is, that's the call that's given to Saul. Skip ahead, verse 7 says this, And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havala, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. This is where it gets bad. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Okay, so he comes into the city, or he comes in these people, he's surrounded by all these people, and he sees they've got some stuff. I mean, they have, they've got animals, and, and they, they've got all kinds of you know, loot to, to, to get. And so I think for Saul, what he sees is opportunity. And if you're anything like me, it's pretty hard to pass up opportunity, isn't it? Like, are you the kind of person when you see, like, the raffle at Sportsman's Warehouse for the rifle, you're like, all right, I can't help myself. It's a buck, right? It's an opportunity. I invest a buck. Maybe I'll get the rifle. Maybe I won't. But throughout our lives, we're looking at all kinds of opportunities and trying to decide, is this something I want to invest in? Is this something worth the risk or, or the sacrifice? And so as he comes in to, to conquer these people, he sees these people got some swag, right? They got some stuff that we could use. I mean, I would, I would want all this. So he looks through and he's like, well, God said wipe everybody out. But, you know, and everything, there's these animals that are really good. Let's just wipe out the crippled ones. Let's wipe out like that, that, that cow that just keeps walking in circles and has just got some psychological. Let's just wipe that cow out, you know. Uh, this one over here who kind of looks you know, like it's near death anyway. Let's wipe that one out. And let's kill most of the people. It says all the people, but it's interesting, just a, a, few, a, a few pages later, we see that um, the Amalekites come back, and they act, end up being a problem for King David. They, they end up capturing uh, all of his men's wives, and it becomes this terrible situation. Like, somehow they have this resurgence. Like they come up from the cracks in the ground. I don't know. They saved enough of them that they were able to become a problem still, even after God calls them to wipe them out. But Saul... God called Saul to wipe out everything but Saul. He was given an objective. He was given a calling. And he did it. Almost. Right? He did it almost. I can imagine this moment. He's like, I don't know. God's going to be. Look at, look at all of the obedience. Look at all of what I did here. I, I've given all this up. I've been pretty obedient to you, God. Like, I can imagine God's going to be pretty cool with that. Let's keep going. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Okay, so Samuel gives Saul the order. God is speaking through Samuel and he feels this, this weight clearly, this conviction. This is what God wants you to do. I'm going to give this order. It's just, it, it looks horrendous to us, but God says, wipe it all out. Samuel goes in. And he decides to do something completely different. Or Saul goes in, he does something completely different. Samuel sees this happen, and Samuel is angry. He loves Saul. He wants the best for God's people, and he knows the implications of disobedience. He's seen it before. He's seen what happens when God's people rebel and reject God. And so he mourns this. And I just, in this moment, like, I was reading this, and I'm like, have I ever cried all night long? For the brokenness of a friend. 
Have you ever mourned the mistakes of somebody in your life? Have you ever been able to just, just lay down and go, God, I cannot believe what's going on here. Not from a place of arrogance and pride as if you're perfect. Samuel wasn't a perfect man either. But to look at the destruction that he knew was going to be caused by this decision and to mourn it. There's a place for that, you guys. There's a place in our lives to look out at the world and to just be broken for the sins of the people around us as well as we're broken for our own. And to go to God and say, God, forgive us. Have, have mercy on us. Like, I know I didn't do what they did, but I, I'm one of your people. They're one of your people. Like, God, would you just have mercy on us? Would you forgive your people? I can just imagine the prayers happening all night long as he's just broken about Samuel's decision. Let's keep going here. Verse 22, And Samuel said, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Okay, so there's a lot going on in this passage right here. He brings this message to Saul. He asks him a simple question. Is the Lord a great delight in your sacrifices? I almost sense a little sarcasm in his voice. You think God's impressed with what you gave him? Like, I think he's like, oh, look, you know, the, the sheep that runs in circles. Nice job, Saul. Like, God was thanking, you know, Saul for, for giving those things up. And he's like, do you think God is pleased with that? And then he says this. He says, as the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Now let's kind of, kind of talk about this for a second. And ex let me explain it to you this way. So I've been married uh, to my wife, Amanda, for uh, 12 years. And so um, we have traditions in our house. We give away presents every Christmas and every birthday, like most of you do. And, uh, and so Amanda, she's a list girl. Like, it's all about, I put it on the list. This is what I want, right? And so she, let's just say, like, Christmas is coming. She puts a blender on the list. I go to the store. I buy the blender, you know. I give her that all year long. I don't do anything else. Nothing for her. Just, you know, we're just living life. Two ships in the night, right? Like, we don't even see each other. We're just living life next to each other. Then Christmas comes. I get her this blender, right? And she goes, honey, you got me exactly what I asked you to do. You know, exactly what I asked for. And I said, you know what? I just know what's expected of me. I just wonder if in that moment she'd feel cared for and loved. Like if she's going to like, oh, I'm just like, that just makes my heart beat. I'm so grateful that you just do what I asked you to do. I'm so grateful you just get the, the gift that I put on the list and I don't see anything from you the, the rest of the year. But, but then let's say a different scenario. Let's say all year long, you know, in little moments, I'm, I'm going to like buy her flowers. One day I'm coming home from work. I'm like, ah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to stop by. I'm going to get her a little something. Let's say, you know, I, I come home early and I, I do some dishes. I do some work around the house. Men do the dishes once in a while. I, like, I do some dishes and I'm cleaning up and I'm like, hey, honey, I'm just, I'm trying to do some of the stuff that you typically take care of to help you out. And, and let's say throughout my life in a year, I do those things. I wonder in those two scenarios, which scenario would she feel more, more loved? And, and honestly, which scenario flows more from love? It's really the life of giving throughout the year, the life of, of sacrificing and making sure she knows how much I care about her all year long. It's not like, well, I asked for this and you did it. Good. You love me. 
It's not how it works. And with God, I hope you guys see this. And I hope if you're new to ACF and, or maybe you're coming back to church, you see like what we talk about a lot is keeping our eyes on Jesus. That everything that we do, all of the things God calls us to, they all flow from keeping our eyes on Jesus. Like the area of your life that you're trying to change, the thing that you're trying to give up, like that problem in your life, it's gonna, you're going to see breakthrough by keeping your eyes on Jesus and knowing who he is and what he's done in your life. This statement to obey is better than sacrifice is a statement that you can give up all kinds of things. You can do all kinds of things, guys. Listen, you're at church today. You did it. And I, I, I always like celebrate that. You made it to church. Good job, right? Through the kids in the car, you woke up, it was rainy outside. Maybe you're like, I don't know, do I get out of the house? Might get a little wet, you know? You, you push through, and that's awesome. And so now you're here at church, but I will tell you, some of the worst times for Christians, some of the most difficult temptations for believers happen at like 1 p.m. on Sundays. Because you just went to church. And so two things happen. You went to church, you set apart this time, said, I'm going to be part of the community of God. I'm just going to show up and set apart an hour and 15 to ask God to speak to my life. And when I did that, I put a, I put a target on my back. I'm now a threat to the enemy. Like God just might change your life here today. He just might speak something into your life that causes you to be a, an amazing agent of his grace in our world. That, that's a scary thing. But the, here's the other thing that happens. Um, you kind of sacrificed a little bit. And, and we grow a, kind of a spirit of entitlement. And so what happens is we kind, of, we kind of use the good things as excuses to do bad things. Am I the only one that does this? Right? You get home from church, you're like, I just went to church. <sighs> right? And so I can let a little bit of this back into my life. Or I can do a little bit of that in my life, you know? I went on a mission trip. I went to Mexico. I am God's special little man. Look at me. I went to Mexico. God loves me so much. He loves all of you. But he loves me because I went to Mexico, right? And so, so then you come home from Mexico, and God did great things through you in Mexico. And now you're here, and you're like, ah, I don't know. Like, I went to Mexico. We'll just leave the Bible over there. On the, on the counter. I, I went to Mexico. I, you know, I'll talk about Jesus with my friends when I get around to it. Think of all the people I talk to about Jesus in Mexico, right? And I, I, all the things that happen, we start to use it, the good things as excuses to ne neglect God. And I wonder, it's like, is that really love? Is that really love? Are we really keeping our eyes on Jesus? Because here's what's not going to work. You can't just come up with a list of things to do and call that love. But when you love, it will change what you do. When you receive love, it will change what you do. So here's another situation. Maybe you're a military guy. Maybe you get put on a post, and you, you got this gate to guard. You're given a gun, you know, some camo, bulletproof vest, you're, and they're like, hey, guard this gate. you got 10 hours. Good luck, right? So there you are, night shift. It's late at night, guarding the gate. Well, across the parking lot is this little building that's got a computer and internet access and all kinds of stuff that needs to be done. And about halfway through the night you think, really? Like there's been nobody coming through this gate. I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go over to this little hut and I'm gonna do some paperwork. I'm gonna take care of some things. I'm gonna be productive with my time and get some stuff done. That's gonna please my boss, right? You military guys are like, uh-uh, no, no. That's how you get shot or fired or something. You know, like that's not a good situation. When you do that, you, you, get, you get an order to stay somewhere. You stay there. You don't go try to trade that for something. Well, I did this other thing. 
Look, I did this paperwork. Aren't you thankful that I got that done? He's going to be like, no, you watch the gate. I gave you a job to do. And I think a lot of people, they live their lives uh, as Christians in this mode of sacrifice, like just giving offerings to God, like this will pay for my sin. Like this will get me in God's good graces. This will please him. And, and I wonder if God's like, you think I'm pleased with that? Like, really? Here's the thing. It's already been paid. It's, when you get this, you guys, listen, when you get that your life has been paid for in full, religion goes out the window. Like sacrifices for the sake of sacrifices. Like, listen, your tithe, I don't care how much you give to the church, does not please God. Your time at church, I don't care how much you serve, does not please God. Nothing you do, you can raise your kids up, tell them Bible stories every day, that does not please God. God is pleased by you, by the blood of Christ Jesus. And even Jesus gets this. When, when, Jesus, when, when Jesus is baptized, the Father looks at the Son before he ever performs any miracles, does any good deed for God. He looks at his Son and says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had done nothing at that point. Nobody had been healed, you know. He'd just been a typical kid growing up, learning, teaching, doing all kinds of things. He gets baptized, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Off he goes, empowered by God, to go and do the work of God from his identity as one who has been saved and loved by God. Now he does all kinds of great things. So don't let me diminish doing those things. But when you do those things, do those things because God is already pleased with you. You can't get any more acceptance from God. You have as much acceptance as you could ever imagine. Does that make sense? You guys getting that? So huge. Such a key. And I want, I want a church full of people who are like loving God and on fire and serving and giving and, and just pouring themselves out. But it's only going to happen when you guys get, when all of us get to our very core. We are just already loved by God. He continues on. He says, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. Divination is simply to, to consult something to see the future, see what's to come. So rebellion, like turning from God, is to consult yourself and your own logic for wisdom on what to do. So you might be like, well, I don't like read tarot cards or, you know, like I don't do any of that stuff to see the future in my life. But what we do is we look to ourselves to determine what should be done for the future. We use ourselves as the way, like our own logic, as a way of determining what's right for the future instead of turning to God. It says, for rebellion is the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. It all comes back to this. Who do you consult to know what to do? You? Your logic? Your ideas? Have you come up with a better plan than God? Do you think you can please him by almost doing what he asked you to do? Or do we live lives just trying to obey him and do what he calls us to every day? Like there's so much freedom in this, you guys. So much freedom in the life of somebody who just knows God is my king. I, I, I'm going to honor him. I'm going to fear him. And I'm going to follow Jesus all the days of my life. Everything's going to start coming together. You guys, stuff's just going to break through in your life. When you get that, you're just like, I'm just loved. Just start the day off with that. I am loved. He is pleased. He loves me. I'm good. If you start there, everything else is going to flow from that. Write a few things down. If you guys got a pen, just real quick as we close out. The first thing is this. Partial obedience is disobedience. Parents, we know this, right? 
You tell your kids, go clean your room. What do they do? Shove it all underneath the bed. You pleased with that? No. We go upstairs. We're like, why did you do this? Well, it looks clean. Like, no, you didn't clean your room. You know better. That's not obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Where in your life are you like, God, I'm almost listening to you. I'm almost following you. Aren't you pleased with almost? Here's what I think we do. We kind of give God the scraps off the table, and we're hoping that he is happy with that, right? We're just, we're just you know, enjoying life, doing what we want to do. We give God a little bit of the scraps. We're like, man, God, look at this. Look how much more generous I am than that guy, right? There's way more scraps on the floor of my table than my neighbor's table. So God, would you take that, be pleased with that, and then we walk away. Again, does that flow from who we are? Absolutely not. Does that look like love? If I treated my wife that way, would you be like, good job, married guy? No. You're like, that's terrible. You pour your life out for your spouse. That's what you do, because you love them. Not to get them to love you, but because they love you. Right? Partial obedience is disobedience. How did Saul fall? First thing is this, he, he valued pleasure over pleasing God. Now I get this temptation. I love to have fun. Uh, I enjoy living in Alaska. I want to get out and enjoy this place. I want to go to movies with my family. I want to go on vacation. I, I want a lot. <laughs> I want a lot of stuff. I want to enjoy living where I live. And, and, and don't get me wrong, that's not a bad thing. Like God invented pleasure, right? Like God is a God of pleasure. Bacon, right? Krispy Kreme donuts, which we're getting in Alaska. Praise the Lord, right? I mean, sex, right? God made sex. Amen for sex. We can say that in church. Just hold on, it's coming. We're going to talk more about it in the fall. So anyway, um, <laughs> listen, this is the God that made us and gave us pleasure. God gives us pleasure to enjoy, but never should the pleasure be worshipped. The pleasure was always made to be something that, that, that forms out worship in our lives for God. It doesn't become the thing that we worship, but over generations and generations, God is, God's people have always been drawn back to worship the, the, the creation rather than the creator, the, the pleasure rather than the one who created pleasure and gave it to us as a gift. So God created pleasure. It's okay to enjoy pleasure. But in Saul's life, he wanted to have a good steak, right? He's like, I don't know. This cow looks healthy. And it just makes no sense at all to get rid of this. And it's going to be a blast to just have a huge feast when we get done with this battle. So let's just save a little back, hold a little bit back, and then we're going to have this huge feast, and we'll do it all for God. We'll make it all about God. Again, twisting God's will. Think of, he, he spared the king. He spared the king, King Agag. And, and which I'm like, why did he spare the king? All these people. I just think maybe he wanted a trophy. I mean, what kind of a status symbol is it? You know? What kind of a status symbol is it to have the king at your dinner table? Dependent on you for everything. He just kind of follows you around. Why is the king here? I don't know. He just serves us dinner. He just hangs out with King Saul. You know, cleans his shoes or something. How big of a deal was that? I think he just, he, he wanted pleasure. He wanted pride. He wanted to be respected. Next thing is this. He saw God's will as wasteful. He saw God's will as wasteful. Have you ever looked at what God said to do and been like, I can come up with something better than that? I just keep reading this story lately, and so I'm going to read it for you. Matthew 26. Jesus is in Bethany. It's a story of this prostitute that comes to him. It says in verse 6, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. 
And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. So imagine this moment. Jesus is in the house of this man who's a leper, who probably was a leper, probably was healed actually at this point, otherwise they wouldn't have been in his house. So Simon's not there. He's got all these religious people and his disciples there together. Religious people are looking at Jesus like, you just screw up, we'll indict you. Trying to look for a way to get him in trouble. And in walks this prostitute. The kind of woman that wouldn't be seen in this crowd. I just imagine like her clothes all torn up. I imagine uh, this look of fear on her face. Like, what am I doing? Why am I here? I can't believe this. All she's got in her hands is this ointment, this, this oil, which probably would have been used for her to make money. Probably wouldn't have been part of what she did was using this oil on the men in her life. And so she walks in to Jesus and she pours it on his head and anoints it. And it says Jesus was aware of it. He, can, he knew what was going on in people's heads around him. You can hear the disciples going, what is going on? And they say, you know, it's like, why would you do this? This could be used for the poor. This is so wasteful. And Jesus looks at them. And he's like, you know, this woman's done a beautiful thing for me. It's a beautiful thing. Now, just think about this story, this woman's life. She, I don't know if she, like, expected to wake up that day but, and, and, and do this. But I just imagine this is like a moment of breakthrough in her life where something happened that day where her sin and brokenness collided with the grace of Jesus and she was compelled to find him. She just wanted to find him. Like, again, this wasn't a religious requirement. She didn't have to go do this. It just something happened in this woman's heart where she said, I gotta go find Jesus wherever he's at. He's in the house of the leper. Okay, I'm going in. Can you imagine at the door just like, going in this oil. This is just gonna look terrible, right? It's just a bad situation. She walks in the door, walks over to Jesus. I can imagine she's just weeping and crying and emotional. She starts pouring all of what she has, probably the only things that she had of value was this oil. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars on Jesus' head. And she's just weeping. It's just a nasty, messy situation. And Jesus is receiving it. He doesn't push her away. No, go do something else. He, he, he sees this as an overflow of love from a woman who's received the grace that he has to offer. Because th- this, this is what happens when people know grace. This is what happen when it happens when the grace of Jesus intersects with the brokenness of your sin is you just are poured out on Jesus. You can't help yourself. I mean, you'll be, you'll be intimidated. You'll be scared. You'll give up a lot. You, you'll be humiliated like she probably was walking in the doors. Why? Because Jesus' love is so great. And, and you can't imagine what life would be like without it. And so from your life is poured out all of this onto Jesus, and, and it's so interesting that, that 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 waste of oil, the oil that was a symbol of a very broken part of this woman's life, w- was what she used to pour out as an act of worship to Jesus. So interesting. Like, the point of your life, the most broken piece of your life right now may be the point of access for God's grace to get into your soul. And when it gets in, that may be the place that God uses you in the most profound ways in other people's lives. And that may be the place that God uses you to pour out into other people and, and to change their lives through what he's done in your life. So I just see this woman, I see her wasting what she had 
to honor Jesus because he saved her, because he loves her. I think that's just the most natural thing that we can do. Let's go last thing. He decided what was good enough for God. It's the last way Saul fell. He just decided what was good enough for God. He used his own logic and he said, listen, God, I know you've called me to take out all of these people and all these animals, but God, I'm just going to give you what I think is best. There comes a point where we just say, you know what, I'm going to give up what I think is best and choose what God says is best. And over time, throughout your life, what you're going to see is it actually is. That's maturity. Maturity is that this conversation that you're having in your head about giving something up for God or or choosing something very difficult to follow God, that conversation gets shorter and shorter and shorter to the point where you realize, hey, listen, when God calls me to something, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to delay because it's always better on the other side of obedience. Life is always better on the other side of following Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're wrestling with what to give up or maybe you're like, man, I don't know, like there, there really is something that God is trying to yank out of my hands. And maybe you, you've kind of let go partially, but you're still holding on as much as you'd like to say that you're not. I just, would you just be honest about that today? And just honest about that with God in your own heart. And I just, I look at Jesus' life and he was honest too. At his very end of his life, he's on the cross. He's getting ready to be crucified and he looks up at his father and here's what he says. He says, Father, would you take this cup from me? Even the Son of Man himself looks up at God and says, God, if you're coming up with any other plans, something other than crucifixion to save the world, now's the time to let me know. He looks up at God and says that, but then what does he say? He says, but not my will, but yours be done. He resolves himself to the will of the Father. What we know about Jesus is that, again, we start off with this. He was, God was fully pleased with him before he ever went to the cross. That's good to know, isn't it? And before you ever give something up for him, he's just pleased by you. And it says that Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. And it says that in Isaiah, for the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. Jesus did everything that he did because of the joy that was within him. It wasn't easy. It was terribly hard. But he did it out of joy because he was so grateful for the love of his Father. So if you need to see some breakthrough in your life today, if there's something going on and you're like, man, I don't know how to give this up. I don't know how to move on from this. Instead of just trying to gut it out and figure it out, here's what I want you to do this week. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I really mean, this is, the, this is the deepest thing I can say to you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Go back to who he says that you are and rest in that. And when you rest in that, your life will change. Let me pray. God, I just think of us coming to you with this little sacrifice in our hands. We think it's huge. We think this is going to please him. This is going to be enough. And God, you are the creator of all things. Now, there's nothing we could give to you that isn't already yours. And God, you just call us your sons and your daughters. You call us your children. Because of what Christ has already done, you already love us. So all the things that we try so hard to give to you, and all the things we're trying to let go of, God, you've already defeated sin. You've already 
conquered death. You've already given us life. So God, could we rest in that today? Could somebody know your love in a new, a profound way today? God, so that we could be like this woman who from the pit of her heart, she just is overwhelmed with gratitude. And God, that everything she does flows out, God, of a place of identity shared with Christ Jesus. Could we be those people, God, that from our broken places, you, you transform and use those things to transform our city. That we take our small things that we know won't please you, God, and we would use those things not to please you, but to honor you as poured out offerings to show the world, God, that your love is all that they need. Your grace is truly enough. Help us to sing those words until we mean them. And help us to know this in new ways today as we sing. And God, I pray for the people in this room right now as we stand and sing, that we could truly sing to you from a place of gratitude, recognizing that we are not God. You are God. And that's good news today. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.